This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Yvonne Arpa. Yvonne and I go back quite some time. Before the show, Yvonne, I was thinking about many of the stories um, <laughs> that I could share about our adventures together. Um, do, do you remember the first time that we met? For sure. Hello, everybody. I remember very well. That was in Geneva. Yeah. Close to 20 years ago, probably. You uh, were launching. You were the very first to launch uh, videos and uh, writing on the internet. Very first blogger, I think so. I was the first blogger, yeah. There were some forums before me, but they were doing it, you know, sort of for themselves, for other collectors. I was the first one that really tried to make it sort of a magazine to bring in new people because, you know, one of the things I started to learn when I went to Geneva is that unless you tell the story about not only you, and the but the watches you make, no one understands this stuff. It's all about storytelling, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Nobody needs a watch to tell the time. So what is important is emotion. And what is fantastic is you wear a slice of emotion at your wrist. This is what really what uh, I work on. Now, you are very special to me because not only are you a good watch designer, which is, you know, a technical skill, there's industrial design in there and understand mechanics and machinery, but you're also an artist. And this is rare, I, I have found, for people to sort of know how to do this both. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you became both a technical designer as well as an artist. Yes, okay, why not? Uh, so in fact, uh, uh, my background is mathematics. I was, as you know, a mathematics teacher right. for a couple of years, which was fantastic for every uh, uh, precise question I had the right answer. This is fantastic because it never happened again, especially with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> She's just so close by, that's right. And, uh, and, uh, but it's also nice to explore the other uh, hemisphere of your brain. So uh, I was always, always attracted by, by art, uh, my wife is a painter, and my kids are also in the art uh, field. And that was something uh, I was also from my side doing some art stuff. And uh, at one stage, I said, okay, uh, why not try to, to mix both together? Huh? So, so that's a little bit of the story. To make a long story short, that's a little bit how, how it started. Now, when we first met, you were working in, in other brands and things like that. You were running Romain Jerome. Uh, for a time, I remember collaborations. Weird, crazy things that you've done with Jacob, remember? And of course, our time with Samsung. And then, you know, actually sort of in between all of it, you created your own brand called Artia. And I remember we had this conversation. It was, you know, more than a decade ago now about the freedom that you felt by having your own brand. What what was the feeling you 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 can remember maybe about that time where you no longer had to answer to people and you were just sort of an entrepreneur. You know, talk about that a little bit because I remember that was very that was very impactful for you. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Yes, in fact, uh, I worked for more than a dozen brands, uh, or as employee, or as a free designer, a free, uh, not really free because you need to to, to freelance. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fantastic. Uh, but also very frustrating because sometimes you, you came up with an idea you thought was great 
And then the owner or the finance people, or the accounting people were just telling you, no, we're not make a return on investment on this one. Oh, no, I don't like the color. I don't like it. It's nothing about that. So it was always a little bit frustrating from my end. But sometimes it was good. Also, uh, over 12 months, can you imagine uh, only two allow me to say that I work for them? So, you know, you, you, you put them, um, I think it's Samsung, where we launched together the Gear S3. Yeah. And it was also Jacob where we worked together on the relaunch of the brand. But uh, the other 10, and even more than 10 brands, uh, made me sign uh, that I can't say that I work for them. Okay, as you know me, you probably saw a couple of watches that uh, have my, my style, but uh, uh, that's, <laughs> that's uh, quite uh, incredible. So it's okay for me, from an ego point of view, that's not a problem. But it was more that uh, it was frustrating that when you were sure that that's a good idea, it's a good concept, and there is a market for it, and just people who were not, especially from the watch industry, from more like bankers who didn't want to take a risk or didn't want to, 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 to yeah, just our ego, they wanted to say, no, I don't like it. So, so it was a point where I said, wow, I would like to do things for myself without showing to anybody. But I don't come from a rich family, you know, so to make a brand is, is so costly. So costly. Oh, it's so costly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so I really had to wait a little bit. And the first brand I launched, which was 100% mine, was, as you know, Black Belt. Yeah. Because again, which was only for the owners of Black Belt. It's 17 millions around the world. You could not buy the watch if you were not a Black Belt. I still uh, handle this brand. And uh, then uh, to make a little bit more, uh, I wanted to create a watch brand where the DNA, because this is something everybody speaks about, DNA of the brand, but the DNA... I wanted it to be creativity, you know, that uh, uh, it's not like a golden prison where once you write the DNA, you cannot do anything else than what you wrote. Here with Archia, the DNA is emotion. So it's a manufacturer of emotions. And as long as your product has a good concept, a good story, and gives emotion, that's a possible Archia. You know, I think also on top of that, there's a sort of charm that you, at least from my recollection, ran Archia you know, like a creative firm, not a lot of structure. Um, some of the watches are one of a kind, other ones weren't, you know, a, 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 such a sort of, I don't want to say random because it was, wasn't random, but this sort of structureless environment by design, you could come out with whatever you want to, crazy ideas that would make you laugh. Some of it would work, some of you didn't. It was like a laboratory for these ideas. And you seem to have so much fun at the concept. And I think what was also fun is you seem to have a lot of fun selling them to people, didn't you? Yes. No, no, no. It's really, it's, it's, a, it's a brand of pleasure. Uh, there is no investor, there is no lawyer, there is no banker. So it's really pleasure that is driving uh, the brand. And okay, it works really well because, you know, the, the, the customer understands this, feel this. When you have a watch, you feel how much love, passion, and work has been done to make this special watch. And sometimes uh, the price doesn't reflect the work. Sometimes it's, it's too low, but it's okay. It's uh, it, The brand works. Uh, I don't need a return on investment, which is on any product exceptional. It's, it's okay. This is not my goal. My goal is to have pleasure every single day when I wake up and to make my idea come true. And this is really fantastic. I really, I really love it. And uh, I think the people who understand the concept and go in the brand, they, they feel it. it's not like an industrial brand that uh, will try to, to make a lot of marketing to, to trick you 
to to wear their watch. This is really the, <laughs> sorry. No, that. it's funny because you're you know you're among the few people from Geneva who's so direct. And you're right. A lot of people think of marketing as a trick to get you to wear the watch. When in reality, this is a marketing firm, so or marketing industry, so everything in a sense, is a trick to get you to do something, but it's sort of not what we want it to be, right? We want, we want these items to, um, to, to, to be an artist like you creating an item that offers an emotional experience that would be otherwise unavailable. And we purchase these goods, um, because of that emotional experience that it can give us. And, and, you know, it's, it's such a real part of the industry, but it's, it's never really spoken about in that direct of a way very often. True. I can I can be so direct because I have a, I have a no investor and so nobody can say oh you should not say so so that's okay I, I really say what I feel and uh, I'm very happy in the USA now we have this uh, fantastic uh, collaboration with Thierry yeah Progest and yeah. Uh, his team it's fantastic team it's so pleasant uh, it's really fantastic because USA is a, is a difficult market so to have people uh, with such uh, knowledge and such uh, charisma is fabulous. Yeah. You've sold watches or made watches to some of the most difficult clientele in the world. Yes. You know, very demanding people from Eastern Europe and things like that and all over the world. And you say that America's difficult market. I believe you, but maybe tell me in your own words, why do you think America's a difficult market? It's a huge market. And it's uh, not easy. For European, it's not easy to understand how it's driven. Because you think it's easy, in fact, but it's not. Uh, it's it's a market. No, it's not. But you, you think because you think you can understand easily America because we because look, we like to buy a lot of stuff. Is that yeah, it? And we look American movies and we know <laughs> American culture and blah blah blah. But it's not like this. It's much more subtle. It's much much more subtle. And it's very good to have a local representative that really understand the market and uh, are interpreting uh, the brand for the different areas of the markets. So, but but. Let's have a little bit more substance because I'm I'm curious, you know, what yeah. are some of the things that you thought would work in America but didn't or some of the things that definitely work and it surprised you? You know, because your 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 work is so avant-garde and distinctive, I think it, it's, it'd be great if you explained some of it to some of the people that have no idea what you've done and also sort of told some of the stories about how those crazy ideas can sometimes work when they're not expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so in fact, uh, the thing is, uh, again, I create emotion that are making products, and these products are giving emotion to people. So people, emotion can be love, it can also be hate. This is okay with me. It's part of the process. And some of the collections you will love, and some of the collections you will hate. And that's okay with me, as long as emotion are given. And uh, some of my collections are a little bit provocative. Uh, maybe, uh, okay, some are done with... Uh, uh, called Son of Earth. Uh, this is a very nice collection, very poetic, uh, with uh, real tobacco leaves, uh, with pigment from the earth, with gold leaves. And this is very nice, very romantic, very poetic uh, collection. Is that so, the one that had the butterfly wings in it too? Uh, so, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Butterfly wings, yeah, which are always purchased. And by the way, it's purchased at the uh, death of the butterfly in farms uh, around the world, especially 
I love how this day and age you have to say that is that there's people yes. out there very worried about, you know, yes. the butterflies. Like there's a lot of butterflies out there, but, you know, they still have to really worry. Was this a humane way of collecting something that they die very frequently? Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it's important to say because some people, they just stop at the first thing they don't understand. Like uh, for the butterflies, they say, oh, that's awful. No, it's not awful. This butterfly was dead. So we collected that, he had a nice life, and we collect and we make him live longer by giving him his uh, luminescent colors in a dial that will make him live for, forever. And so it's not mad. But some people, they just pluck at the first thing without thinking further. Remember, I think it was on your blog, I did a, I did a, a, a knife which was integrated in the, the, the folding clasp of a, of a, of a, of a watch. Remember a knife that? that was in, uh, like it's a very a, small one. Yeah, yeah. I think you brought about this or somebody from. Yeah, the yeah. The very small knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the in the in the clasp. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So some people they say, "Oh, this is awful. This is really the ugliest idea and so bad." It was for me. It was a, a letter opener, which was very practical. I used it on a regular day. But for some people, it was like uh, would have the terrorists to to. To, to come over USA, you know? So they were okay, so okay, but you've also made a lot of watches with bullets in them. That's another yes, thing. Another one, yes. I have another collection, which is called Sunregan. So this collection is very particular. It's the first collection that marries two worlds, which is the high watchmaking and the firearms world. But the message is philosophical. You look at your watch, you see the time, but you don't know yours, how long you still have to live. So please, carpe diem, enjoy every minute of it. So it's your your version of the memento mori. Exactly. The message is very nice. And by the way, the, the watch looks incredible, really. Uh, okay, many different versions, as you know. Some unique piece, some limited edition, uh, from uh, the roulette uh, with, uh, uh, with real, real guns and so Very nice. Anyway, some people just love it. Some people just thought I was somebody bad because I use bullets in watches, but any bullet which is in a watch will not be in a gun. So, so, so <laughs> I love how you have to explain it. You know, look, I think a perfect example of these skull watches, and you've done your fair share of skull watches. Like, some people love them, some people, there's no one that feels nothing about skull watches. You either love it or hate it, right? Yes, some of my skull watches are very, very uh, aggressive. Yes, yes, I can say so, because it's like, the, uh, it's also a kind of moment to marry, but they are all totally handmade, and they are, have an incredible look. And uh, if you don't like skill watch, it's okay. If you like skill watch, you will love it. So what? For example, uh, I love some some cars, and I don't love some others. And uh, in fact, in the watch industry, it's it's because it's so much into emotions. People are uh, very rapidly uh, taking uh, some 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 kind of uh, you know I hate it or I love it without trying to understand why this watch exists. You know, now, before before it was about those types of things, it, remember it used to be about rare materials uh -huh. and you had, <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about the Titanic DNA in a minute, but I remember the Copperlite watch and Copperlite, for those that don't know, is fossilized, you know, dinosaur fecal matter. And you made a watch with Copperlite and people could not stop talking about this. Um, what? what Maybe it was a mistake because uh, uh, since then I created thousands and thousands of watches 
And so many people stick on this image of, uh, of my work with Arkia. And it was more, it was more like a, uh, a little story. I was designing for another brand, which of course I cannot say. And, uh, and the guy launched my product uh, like a few years ago. And then he thought it was so good because he changed the color of the dial and presented it as a, as a the big novelty of the year, which, which, by the way, you know, the watch industry, uh, people who have money make advertising, so they have a lot of PR in the magazine. So you have a lot of PR, like it was really the color of the year. So I couldn't say anything about this, but I was, uh, I said, okay, this guy wasn't, was not looking good, except the fact that he was rich and there was a lot of advertising and a lot of PR. Uh, it was really nothing. So I made this dial, uh, as, a, as a little joke between him and myself to say, okay, look, this dial is shit, isn't it? Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and but I did, I did, uh, I think, uh, uh, 10 pieces. They were sold in uh, half an hour at the, at the retail of, uh, uh, $12,000 or $14,000. And, uh, so one went an auction at $120,000. Can you imagine? In Australia, it was sold in auction at $120,000. I mean, that's the thing. This stuff is weird, which means there's bound to be some people out there that love it. There's always fans out there for weird. And I admire you for putting up with all the flack because this industry, more than most other consumer goods industries I know, is so incredibly conservative. What has it been like to be amongst the only really liberally minded visual pre people in an otherwise really conservative space? I mean, you know, you have to be the first to admit you're not like other Genevans. No, no, I'm not. And I think it's very important. I like to make a parallel with the hat industry. Okay. Um, remember, three or a generation ago, anywhere on the planet, that's nothing, three generations, it's your grandfather. Three generations ago, uh, you could not go outside without hats. In the US, in Europe, in India, everywhere on the planet, in Asia, people were wearing hats, men mm. or women. That was, if you didn't wear a hat, you looked weird, honestly. Remember that time you see on the movie, in the movies, huh? they all had Borsalino or other type of hats. Today, yeah. it's only uh, original people who are wearing hats, which is okay. But, why? Because they didn't reinvent themselves. This industry was doing always the same type of hats and the, the kids didn't want to have the same with their father. And this is something that can be a risk for the watch industry. If we don't try to reinvent ourselves, I'm not sure that uh, the kids want to have the same watch than their grandfather, you know? So you uh, worked in an industry that was sort of becoming obsolete in front of your eyes and you didn't... You didn't want to go away. I love, I love I'm, I'm a watch collector. I love some of the watch that are existing. Just say that we must not sleep on what we did. We must try to find new ways. We must try to do new things. We must try to. It's 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 the only industry that is so so emotional, so expensive. Just to tell, if you pay very much for a car, it will go faster. It will have a fantastic comfort. It will be whatever. You pay so much for a watch, maybe to give time less precise than a quartz watch. But you have so much more than the function. You yeah. have, this is something very important and very interesting. You have all the, this engineering, this micro-engineering. You have all this tradition, 400 years of tradition and progress. And this is something very important. I, I have a theory, because I'm thinking about all the things you've done that have been controversial. And what I've noticed is, to you, I don't think any of it seems controversial. And I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't see the controversy, but people are 
we'll just say, um, you know, highly excitable, uh, not just today, they've always been. And some of the things you've done have proven to be, you know, uh, have, have, have created some very serious emotions in people. Does it, does it surprise you? Because I, I, again, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like with the Titanic DNA, I don't think that you believed it was as controversial as some people made it out to be, right? No. No, no, of course not, of course not. And this was a time when I was not independent, so it was not with Archie, it was another brand. And uh, when I created this watch, I had invested, and I didn't tell them what I did, because I said, <laughs> I <don't think> <laughs> you just have to, to trust me, uh, you hire me, so trust me, and uh, you'll see what happens. And it was crazy, you know. It was really very, very crazy, because some people were so shocked, so shocked. But it was interesting, because it was the first time that... Uh, we were not selling, you know, polished watches. The watch was rusted, and the rest was had more value than gold. And what is interesting is now, 15 or 20 years after, I can see that so many brands are working on not polished, uh, from matte to uh, to uh, especially, uh, you know, old style or bronze or blah blah blah. All these watches did not exist 20 years ago. It was it was so, so it brought something. And what I would like to say, you, 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 you insist, and I agree on all my controversial watches, but 90% of my collection is not controversial. It's very, very respectful of the tradition. Just oh, yeah, absolutely. A bit further. But I have only two ways. Or I take some investor and I communicate in a traditional way that I will always be smaller, even if my investor is very rich and the big ones of the industry. Or I do some controversial watches, which have a message, which people like you understand and explain. And some people will not understand and will get mad at me, which is okay. But it's also a way for people to know my brand. And then they will check my brand, people who understand the concept, the emotion, and uh, who are okay to be shocked or not shocked. And we'll see all what I propose, which is also a way to have uh, visibility. And it's important to have visibility. We have 300 watch brands in Switzerland that are currently existing. And uh, I think it's important to have a visibility different than just... No, I mean, you have to be a clever marketer these days. And you were doing it prior to the social media generation. So when Instagram came out, you're like, I've been doing stuff like that. And it's true, you have. But you understand that you need to get people's attention. And once you have their attention, you know, then you can actually have a business. But it's it's difficult to get people's attention in this world. Yes. I want to talk about you as an artist for, for a moment because I think one area that you were ahead of uh, the time was in your fascination with organic textures and things like that. You know, when you when you started having this fascination with rust, what I thought at the time was that you were exploring the aesthetic beauty of this very interesting texture and color that was cool looking. And over the last few years, we've seen this massive movement towards everything from clothing and architecture and everything in watches, of course, to the celebration of something that isn't a perfect, industrial, clean, you know, perfectly finished, same exact color surface. Wood grain, texturing, things that look like rock. These fascinate the eye. They seem to be very appealing to a lot of people. And you seem to implicitly know that very early on. Where did you learn all that? Was that just artist intuition or did you sort of act actively think about that? No, I think it's... Uh, it's uh to, to keep your, your, your child mind, to stay uh, 
uh, how you say, marvelous, you know, you're, everything is marvelous. So, so I was looking at resins. That's so nice. It's so incredible. I had a, in my garden, I had some chairs in steel and they were resting uh, like hell uh, during the winter. You know, the winter are hard here in Switzerland. And I said, this is wonderful, the color they're taking. And I said, why don't, should I bring this to watches, but I should bring it with an emotional value. So how can I find rusted stuff? And I brought a couple of rusted, I think over 100 possibility of using rusting watches. And then I took <laughs> her daughter, and she was only four years old, and I said, Titanic, she said, yeah, Titanic. So, okay, so that was nice. And what was also nice is that it was the first time that in the watch industry, at least, and I think maybe also other industry, you bring a piece of history or a piece of added value integrated in the watch. Meaning that the brand that I created at this time of Amazon had no historical value, but I took the, the historical value of Titanic, the power of Titanic, the emotion linked to Titanic, to make an object. And I see today there are maybe over 50 brands doing so. You know, they take uh, uh, whatever piece of whatever to bring and to put in the watch. And when I did this 10 years ago, everybody was, wow, what is this? But it was really a new trend in the watch industry and in some other industry as well, to integrate a piece of history or of, of not history, of, of uh, uh, emotion linked to material in, in the object. And in this industry, so much of the time, you find yourself in a position where no new idea goes unpunished, right? And, and what I mean by that is even if something ends up being successful, when it's a fresh idea, the amount of backlash you get, especially in the sort of high luxury design space, it's so serious. People are so aggressively resistant to new things. And I've always wondered why that is. I've always been open-minded, but what do you think is responsible for this sort of militant conservatism which so often exists in our space? Very good point. Really very good point. You know what? I think the watch industry in Switzerland is very special. In fact, um, it's, uh, if you take the history, it was, uh, it was in the mountains, you know, in the Jura mountains that uh, some watchmakers were doing during the cold winter months, the watches as they could not do anything else because there was so much snow. I'm simplified the things. It's a little bit like this. And they were so proud about their product, so proud. Of it. So, the, first of all, they, they, they didn't want to share it too much with the others, a kind of jealousy, a kind of uh, a style that uh, uh, you, you want to stick to the tradition. And if you come and you say, okay, tradition is cool, but there's a lot of other things that we can do, respecting tradition, you shake so much this industry that is, uh, that is doing the same thing for 100 years that people are, are very reluctant. Uh, in, in a way, it's a little bit the same with the, with the car industry. Now the, it's coming the electric cars. Everybody, so many people are, are against it with, with no, no reason. You know, when you shake an industry, of course, you have the haters that uh, come very fast. That's for sure. There are, yes. there are. Which is okay. This is also why I do very, very traditional watches. And I, I love these people because we can talk together. I can show them uh, ultra-complicated watches. You know, I have minute repeaters, uh, triple tourbillon, blah, blah, blah. You know them. And uh, I can show this. And this is uh, heritage of the watch industry. And I want to also open new doors by doing blah, blah, blah. And people understand it better when you accompany them. Some people... Yeah. 
I'm thinking about a watch that you designed some years ago now that I, I, I keep thinking because I liked it so much. And it was interesting because it combined these things. It was traditional. It was new. It was this tourbillon watch that had like, I have no better term for it than a small diorama of like wires and circuit things in there. And you were having this weird artistic integration of, you know, modern circuit boards and traditional watchmaking. And I, this was the perfect example to me of a polarizing watch because I can see how some people hating this and some people loved it. But I, I thought it was so, so cool. And I always wondered to myself, how did you combine this sense of having good design with these fun ideas? Because anyone else that did this idea would have made it look ugly and stupid. But because you had been looking at traditional watches for as long as you did, I think you knew how to take this crazy artistic concept but still make it look like a timepiece. Do yes. um, you remember this watch? Very much so, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point, I guess. This watch was uh, quite incredible because it was respecting so much the tradition. It was a very nice tourbillon. Uh, all, all the angles, everything was angled. The finishing was incredible. And yes, uh, to, to decorate um, the, the watch, it was not traditional watchmaking, but it's true. I took electronic parts, but nice ones. And uh, it was also a tribute to maybe a family with a Swiss artist called Tengli, uh, which uh, which uh, used a lot of those um, those like wires, right? Yes, but of course, yeah, not, yeah. not, not much of it. Was doing no, they were big, big things, uh, right? Sculptures. So it was also a, a little tribute to, to his work, and I thought it was something interesting to to, to get out. By the way, industrial, uh, the, all the electronic field is something very nice. If you look at the electronic field, it's incredible. Uh, the, uh, the power of all this industry is fabulous, and it's, it's, uh, we don't show it. Uh, the only thing we show in this industry are the lamps. If you have an amplifier, amplifier lamp amplifier, but uh, all the rest of the circuit is quite incredible. So it was also a tribute to these people uh, as a as the work they do. So it was, it was a nice one, yes. It was also sold quite, quite fast. Do you find that it's still easy to come up with these creative ideas? Because, you know, we haven't been able to see each other in a while because of circumstances beyond our control. But I yes. remember that you, you used to be so prolific. Every time we met, you had such a, <laughs> such a variety of things to show. I never had time to see it all. You know, do you find yourself still so excited about these new ideas? Yes, very much. I have uh, I have so many for a couple of generations of ideas. So it's also uh, I try not to come too often at the office because uh, people around me get get uh, get tired because uh, <laughs> they keep uh, pushing for new things. Uh, <laughs> hey, everybody, stop what you're doing. New project. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but uh, I will be I will be coming at the Palm Beach show. I think it's in a couple of weeks, three three weeks. Oh. Uh, and if you have any chance, anybody listening to come, uh, will be, it will be my pleasure to meet you and show you uh, so many new ideas. Yes, I think it's 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 my engine, it's my therapy maybe to come up with new ideas. I did also some jewelry brands now. I did also some leather goods, uh, lifestyle leather goods, and so so. Yeah, I keep like this is my my thing. I love it. My, what makes me happy and uh, energetic and so is to come up and. To, not only with the idea, but to make it, to make it come to a true product. Before we go any further, a quick announcement, and we thought we would tell you, the listeners of the podcast, all about it first. A blog to watch is hiring. We are looking for a social media manager to look after all the Instagram, Facebook, comment section on the website, 
all the social media stuff that you can think of. So if you're interested, get your CV together and any relevant experience and email the boss man himself, Ariel, at ablogtowatch.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. So with that done, it's back to the show. So let's talk about martial arts for a moment, because I know that that's always been a big part of your life and a defining part of your character. Earlier, you talked about the black belt watch and, you know, you kind of talked about that very quickly. But you, you made a watch brand that is called Black Belt. And in order to qualify to buy one, you have to have earned a black belt in, you know, some type of martial art. Um you know, a lot of people feel very strongly about it. You're you're a friendly, you're not a violent person, you know, you're not, uh, you know, someone you might think of as being like a fighter or something like that. Talk about what what that's done for you. Talk about what you like about that. Is that something you recommend to other people? I'd love to hear about your relationship with uh, martial arts. Yeah, a good point as well. Uh, listen, in fact, this uh, watch brand, when I wanted to create my watch brand, as I told you, I don't come from a rich family. I had no possibility to make a brand uh, except if the concept was limited to one product. So when I thought of this, I said, what world else than the, than the watch world do I know? And I know well the, the martial art world. So I said, listen, all these people with who I train and who I compete, are they so proud of their level? Uh, myself, I'm now seventh time, and uh, I was proud. Now it's okay. I worked on having no more ego, but I was so proud of it when I got it. And, um, and in fact, uh, they cannot show it on a daily basis. Of course, I cannot come to the office with my belt. And I cannot go uh, shopping. I cannot go, uh, a young guy cannot go and say to his uh, a girl he is looking for that is a black belt. So I said, maybe a watch that represents uh, his level and his dedication because you have to follow some rules to, to be able to buy this watch. Could be something. And I uh, tried to launch this because uh, there are uh, 17 millions of black belts around the world. And it was a monoproduct uh, brand at the beginning. Now it's multi-product because uh, some, some wise people from, uh, from, from this uh, black belt, from, from the martial art, asked me to, to make it more democratic, and not only for black belt, which is right. good. Should not be so only to black belt. So we still have the black belt, but it's also for everybody who. Uh, and the, the, the DNA of this brand is life is a noble fight, and uh, it's something important. All the value from the martial art, which is respect, and uh, um, it's all the kanji that you know, uh, respect. It's uh, um, well, rightfulness, benevolence, uh, uh, courage. Uh, humidity, all these things are something that was uh, drove, drove all my life and still is very important to me and is very important uh, to, to, to the community that, that goes with Black Belt. For example, you know, I did a logo for the Black Belt. I saw that over 30 people tattooed my logo, big in the back or in the arm or on the It's hand. a cool logo. It's cool. It's a cool logo, but it's work. Because still, uh, the value that you promote to sell a brand should not, I mean... But there's no other logos out there in the black belt world. Like, you created a design that should have existed. There's nothing, at least that I know of, that's like, hey, I have a black belt. Like, there's no sign that says that, is there? True. Maybe, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But it was, yes, it's a a responsibility when you do this brand. You know, I had to refuse people. There was fake... Fake. You need to prove when you want to buy that you are a black belt. There was fake certificates sent to me uh, to say that they are black belt. 
It was <laughs> like a fake COVID vaccination card or something. <laughs> I remember a couple of weeks ago, they said, you're calling me, say, Ivan, yes, no. My, my husband is a black belt, he has your watch. But he cheated on me. And uh, on the, uh, if, you, if you follow the Budo, Budo uh, style, you cannot do this kind of thing. So if she said, go and hit him. No, I'm not the judge. I'm not. I'm, I'm <laughs> Revoke his watch. Go there and, and, and repossess it because he's violated oh. his black belt ways. Exactly. So, so it's it's also very emotional world. It's a very very. But, but hold on a second. On that note, I have a feeling that you've had to play police officer with at least some of your customers before, even in the more high end world. Because I know that there's some tricky characters that buy watches, and they will try to take advantage of you unless you stop them. Isn't that right? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Of course, you know some of my watches are, are taken as a first degree, uh, especially for example, some of the and I have some some. Some very, very, very violent people coming to my office that want to, to kill me or to uh, uh, whatever, but it's okay. Yeah, yes, it's okay. We know how to deal with those type of people. How do you deal with those type of people? I mean, you, you make a watch like the son of a gun that is going to attract at least some people that, like you said, are kind of violent. Um, no. You know, you, there is a way of dealing with them. Like, what is what is the solution? I, I don't even know if I know. No, but uh, I can't even tell. You have to be yourself. You have to be very authentic. You have to be very, uh, very, uh, yeah, not afraid. Very They're looking authentic. for fear, aren't they? They're seeking people who are afraid of them. Yes, very much so. Yeah, they don't want to buy. Uh, uh, once they, or they, or they make the order, they want just to take the watch and not to buy it. So you need to be strong to make them like. Yeah, they don't want to pay, right? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> Is that a common thing in the watch space? Because people don't really think too much about it when they see these like, you know, big luxury advertising, you know, on, on, on high streets. But there's a lot of sketchy characters in the luxury world. It's true that you're not the only brand that has to deal with some of these characters, right? No, no. But, but my business model is easier in that sense that uh, there's no watch leaving my office which is not paid. You know? I think it's more difficult for people who make credit or make a lot of memo watches. Or, yeah. Like this, uh, then it's, it's, of course, more difficult. Now, the world today, I know we said we weren't going to talk about the pandemic, but it's created a lot of emotions. And when you have emotions out there, you can make art that, you know, appeals and speaks to those emotions. What are some of the new opportunities for, for you now? What are some of the new aesthetics and, and sentiments out there that, you know, could, could offer a lot of visual inspiration for new watches? True. Yeah, yes, but any situation will do. This one is very particular. I agree. Yes, it's very. Uh, also, again, you see, uh, it's very. Uh, uh, some people are, are really haters of the vaccinated. Some people hate the non-vaccinated. It has not created a, a common, a compassionate world. And this is a little bit the bigger deception of this uh, huge pandemic. Uh, and I thought that maybe we will all hands uh, all hold hands together to, to fight this disease. This is not the case at all. Not yet. Yeah. This is maybe uh, what from an artistic point of view is the most... Uh, most uh, so this notion of division and confusion and anger, lack of direction, lack yeah. of trusted authority, uh, lack of stability, these are all... These are the the core of what cre creates a stable foundation of society and it's, it's not yeah. really there right now. Yes, totally true. This is maybe from an artistic point of view what is the most uh, most shocking. Most now, shocking. Switzerland, 
has the privilege of feeling like one of the safest places in the world. Quite literally, much of Switzerland is surrounded by tall mountains that no army could get through. It's a very rich country that that's isolated from a lot of economic problems. There's a, you know, there's shelters if there's, you know, war. But with the pandemic, for probably the first time in the lives of anybody uh, in Switzerland, there's this sort of sense of we're not as safe as maybe we thought we were. How is that affecting culture there? What are some of the conversations people are having that maybe 10 years ago they never would have had? True, yes. The thing is, um, first of all, we, we the, the, the government, you know, we have a president that changed every year. So he has not much power. He has no time to make a lot of mess. Right, uh, right. So the, the power is to the people. And uh, we vote and we decide. So in fact, for the pandemic, they could not really, uh, they, they, they take the common sense of the people and they ask the people to act uh, responsibly. And this is maybe a little bit different than some other countries around us, like in France or in Italy, the president say what the people have to do. Here it's a little bit different. Uh, okay, of course, they can force us to close uh, uh, the, the shops or so, but, uh, but uh, uh, they, they don't ask people too much, like vaccination is not mandatory. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, so, so this is one point. But what we had, and which was shocking as well, is really this this uh, division between vaccinated and non-vaccinated. And this is something that in Switzerland uh, would not, it's something new, really, where you see haters, but really haters, uh, that really are, are uh, extremists, uh, being vaccinated or not, but uh, really hating the other part of, uh, of the society. And this is something uh, that comes out a little bit more than, uh, than ever before in our little quiet country. Yes, true, yeah. So it's interesting that a lot of the crazy things happening around the world are are also happening in Switzerland, and that's rare because it's true. As a discrete society, I have never, you know, been at a dinner or in a conversation in Switzerland where there's been much of a political conversation at all. In fact, if it wasn't doing my own research, I never would have even understood the cantonal system how Swiss people vote all the time, the particular type of direct democracy and da-da-da. Like, nobody even talks about this, even though it's literally a part of their lives all the time. And and now people are, are going through these questions and things like that. You know, you're an intellectual. Is this a good thing for Swiss culture? No, I don't think so. No, no. Okay. No, in fact, um, the good thing is when uh, people are uh, moderate, you know, to be extreme is never a good thing, whatever it is. It is a political, religious, or, uh, or now a pharmaceutical extreme. <laughs> it's never a good thing. I think uh, uh, you have to respect other opinion, other people acting differently. It's, it's, it's the base of, of our planet. It should be like this, respect, respect, and love, love. Now, you, you you worked under some really important people in the watch industry. Um, talk about who some of your mentors were, people that you worked next to, wor- for, who inspired you, whether it came to communication or management or design or or just various things that, that helped you be the person you are today. I would say God. Uh, no, in, the, in that sense that uh, nature, uh, what the uh, cosmos, nature is really something that I'm grateful every morning when I wake up, saying, wow, 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 how can we be arrogant? How can we be bad? How can we be, when you just look around you, 
everything is is, is marble, and uh, this is really uh, uh, it's uh, eternal respect and gratitude. And uh, even if it sounds weird, uh, with the age, it's something towards uh, what uh, we need to turn. Really, the respect of the of the creator. For me, no, I, I was talking about in the watch industry, actually. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Oh. I too am and frequently humbled by nature. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think I have a mentor. Uh, everybody brought me something. Uh, and uh, it can be a uh, uh, secretary, it can be uh, the cleaner, it can be, I mean, everybody has something to bring to, to someone else. And uh, I don't have somebody who would say, wow, this is really my God. Uh, because... Um, Behind the marketing, uh, you you find the people, and uh, today uh, many people uh, are good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Very diplomatic response. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what What was the name of that one brand? I was trying to remember it. I guess I could have looked it up, but I wanted to ask you. It was the one that was sort of inspired by like Russian submarines, and it had the uh, sort of atomic Vol- symbol. Volna. Vol- Volna. Volna. That's what Vol- I thought Vol- it was. Vol- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. That was one of sort of your last attempts at doing sort of a brand with other people and things like that. And and I know it doesn't always go well for you, but I, I, I feel that you're you're so good as part of a team. Is there ever going to be a future of you doing, you know, new brands or revitalizing brands? Like would there be a situation that you would you would accept within that type of structure or is never again for you? No, uh, never say never, uh, but I'm feeling so well now. It's what I do. So it really needs to, to be a, something, a plus for the people and for myself. So that's that's it. I'm not in the need of doing so. If I do so, it's really because it will bring something. I did a couple of other brands. Uh, once maybe you were familiar with Sperolusen, very, very high-end. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. That was uh, awesome. Avona and uh, uh, another one, which I cannot say, but I was really a big part of it. But uh, yes, it's always interesting. But it's 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 funny because in fact uh, it's like it's it's nothing special. I'm like an old pilot of a seven four seven, for example. Before before starting starting and flying, he has a checklist to launch his plane. It's about the same as a watch brand. Before launching a watch brand, he had a checklist. Okay. And it's just uh, I launched so many brands, so many products. I know this checklist, so it's just to to check all the points before launching a brand. I, I have to ask, what are some of these checklist items? No, but see, for example, now uh, I'm close to I don't know why to some bankers, so they give me the the, the business plan of some brands that I want that uh, that uh, are asking for money to to be launched, and it's very difficult for me. I hate to break uh, somebody's dream. But yeah. When you see somebody who before he sells any watch already has. Uh, uh, 12 people working for him from an assistant uh, at, a, at a huge salary to a director of sales to a director of production to, and that he puts the five blessed doors around the world that will buy for him uh, half a million every year. You just say it's not possible, uh, even if uh, it's no more like this. It maybe was like this 10 years ago. This is, this you, know, you know what I say to people? I say you shouldn't build a brand and then try to create a good idea. You should try to build a brand around a good idea. And if you don't have a good idea yet, don't try to build a brand and then think, okay, we'll figure it out. thousand percent right. The thing is, many people are good storytellers and they tell them, oh, you should be, oh, there's so much money to make in the watch industry and people 
full of that because it's easy to make your watch brand. You and I know how hard it actually is. This is not an easy industry, even though the items in this industry do cost a lot of money. It's expensive to do business. It's not particularly cooperative. It seems to shoot itself in the foot a lot of the time. People think very, very short term, even though it's a long term industry. Like on paper, financially, it has everything going against it. What saves the watch industry is the demand continues to be strong because people love watches. Yes. It's very easy to lose a lot of money. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not easy to make. Yes. yes. You, here's the thing. Do you think that, and I've always wondered about this, I've always thought that the ideal business structure of a watch brand was essentially a loss leader for a big corporation. Like you have a bunch of boring money-making companies, but you want to have like a fun company to make awesome things. You can give them as gifts. You can have parties. It can be a place to put a bunch of money so it's not taxed. Like it's it's a, it's a vanity brand. And I, I feel that in a lot of ways, that's like the best business structure for, for a watch brand. Yes, that's a, that's a good one. If, if everything is clear from the start, but many many times you know the finance people put the money and they they wait for a return on investment, and then the people uh, ruling the brand are, are 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 hoping to have a return on investment. But you should. Why do they believe this? Why are they tricked every single time? But I think the thing is very simple. You should spend the money that you earn. You should not spend the money that you hope you will earn. And uh, still, this is something that still doesn't work in the watch industry. Many people spend a lot more and think they will make a lot more return on your Okay, but to defend the other side, like you said before in the conversation, just to make a watch can be so expensive, you can't do it on a shoestring budget, meaning you have to borrow a lot of money. Yeah, true. Yes. So try to have the client before so what, what is the solution? Is there a way of making a less expensive watch or is there a way of aligning artists with patrons rather than financial investors? Well, I think you need to find the clients to be sure that the clients will, will follow you. Huh? Just uh, just another watch brand, there's no sense to be just another watch brand. It's, uh, I mean, the thing is, okay, you see it through Kickstarter, you have a lot of new brands, but how long do they last? The thing is, it's not difficult to make a watch brand. It's difficult to make a brand that will last. For example, after there's no 15... And look, Breguet did this, right? They had to have the subscription watch. Like, even in the beginning of the watch industry, it was founded on a pre-order model. Nobody was going out there and spending months and months of time to build something if they had no idea who's going to buy it. Like, that just wasn't something that happened very often. True, yes, yeah. But even prescription is okay for the first collection, but then you have other collections. You must think ahead. You must have clear ideas, clear DNA. Clear concept, clear uh, everything must be very, very clear. Honestly, uh, it's uh, very back to basic. Do you, do you think about that? Meaning, you know, I obviously you want to continue doing what you're doing. There is a more what they call direct to consumer model these days, which has pluses and minuses to the traditional model. But as an entrepreneur, do you think about how to reach customers, uh, how to make the most you know, wise decisions of products to make to sell to them? Like it's a, it's, a, it's a changing world where you have to sell watches one at a time. Yeah, true. Okay, the good thing about Arte is really is already very ready for the next world, if we can say so. I mean, the, you know, the very unique piece uh, is something I think that really appeals to the people. When you have a watch which is still affordable for a couple of thousand US dollars, you have a watch that nobody else owns 
in the planet. Also, that corresponds to your style, to your to your uh, dedication, to your uh, to your uh, values. Something I think is really really appealing, and it's it's pretty complicated to make. I mean, it must have a a, a, a word mind like mine to to play chess uh, with production. I have uh, so many people uh, working for me uh, on 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 the production because you know when you make one of a kind. It's another thing than when you make uh, 10,000 watches of the same style. Uh, it's a very, very different uh, production um, path. What do you look for in the people that you hire? You have a team. You have to have a team. Um, I know that you're very particular about your team. What, what do you look for in, in people in your team? What, who, who makes sense to work with you? It's a, yeah. I really think, for, uh, first of all, people need to be clever because otherwise uh, they get on numbers very easily. Uh, they need to go to the point and they need to have a, a depth, depth in that sense uh, uh, that uh, they have other values and money and, uh, and work, you know, they have to be. And uh, my people are now with me since, since long and um, we feel good, you know, they, they're happy, they understand, there's no secret, they know how much money we make, they know how much we can get out of this. It's it's a it's a it's a very I mean they're happy to come and this is the best really you can feel this joy and this uh, love is a big mouth a big a big word but, uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the product because people who, who really work uh, with me uh, I can really feel they they feeling good and if if it's not the case they will not stay they will feel they're not part of the family if you understand and uh, and they will not stay but. Uh, um, for now, I really think I'm very, I have a lot of gratitude because really fantastic team I work with. I'm How very, much time do you spend with people from other brands? Now, when you live in Geneva, to people that don't know, and you, you're in the watch industry, there's no getting away from it. You know, you go to a restaurant, you see people, so you can't really get away from it. But do you regularly make a point to see what people from other brands are doing? Do you sort of stay in your own lane? What is your you know, yeah. way of keeping in touch with the industry or alternatively staying away? No, it's, uh, the thing is, uh, you have really two types of people in, in my industry. You have the people working for big brands that are, in fact, uh, it's a little bit sad, but when it's a big brand, the personality of the brand is so strong that they don't need a strong personality in the brand. It would, it would jeopardize the, the, the DNA of the brand. No? So, so they have usually very good people, but the personality which is uh, which uh, uh, embrace the, the one of the brand. And you have the independent, uh, which, uh, which are really the soul of the brand. For me, what is the most important is authentic people. And uh, by no chance, this industry makes a lot of people which are not authentic. What you see is not what they are. And uh, this is not the people I'm very interested in, but many people, they are authentic. And authenticity, I think, is a key word in our industry. What you buy, what you see, is should be authentic, should be made with authenticity. Now, okay, so let's explore this topic. I, I as a person who likes to maintain a degree of culture and sophistication, looks for originality. Uh, like you do. And I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are not a copy and that are a real representation of the the person that made it and what they're thinking. Um, with that said, we also sometimes have to remind ourselves that we are in the minority 
and that most consumers are not educated enough to know what is and isn't original, and they feel more comfortable with what is familiar, which is often something else that they saw, and thus what sells is often an emulation. So how do we reconcile this legitimate feeling we have as cultured consumers with the fact that the mainstream is never going to be able to identify culture as readily as someone who has more exposure and education with it? It's, uh, which is totally okay with me. I mean, if people are happy with being mainstream, it's totally okay. The thing is, I read a book not long ago with, um, I'm not sure how we say this in English, you know, when, when it's the last couple of hours of your life and there's a, uh, a person that you don't know, but she's holding your hand to, to, to accompany you through death. And yeah. You have, you have a word for this English? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm not really sure. I mean, in Switzerland, you have a lot more of them because this is something that goes on there. Yes, um, yeah. I don't know. It would be someone that would work at a hospice, you know, a hospice nurse, maybe? Yes, yes. Okay, so I read a book of one of this fantastic lady. Oh, wow. That, uh, in fact, she, uh, I think she made a thousand people pass through this last moment of their life. So a thousand is quite a lot. And she said what was shocking her the most is that the big majority was really having regrets. Like, oh, I did not do what I felt I, I wanted to do. I, I did this. I did my job because I wanted to satisfy my father, my wife. I needed to have a house. I needed to have a car. I needed to have the Rolex because the people at the office were looking at me, blah, blah, blah. I, I did, and I felt like I wanted to be an artist, a singer. I don't know what. Uh, and, and now it's the end of my huh. life. And I did not do what I wanted to. That's kind of sad. Very sad. And, uh, well, I mean, what's worse, like regret or fear? I would say that regret is probably worse. I think it's changing now with the new generation. They are not ready to go in big companies for, for the rest of their life for money. But at, at least when she wrote this, it was really uh, the, the, the fact. And it's yeah. a the same. I mean, the people who go to independent brand, to authentic product, are people who are looking for something else than just uh, uh, the mainstream, just, uh, uh, you say, paret, uh, just look, you know, it's the inner strength that would dictate the choice in whatever they do, clothes, cars, watches, and uh, holidays, or, or whatever. And I think these people are interesting. It's, uh, it's people who come naturally to brands like mine, like Artia, to, to see and to find a product that are appealing to them because they like it, not because the other people who like what he wears, you know, is accepted. It's his choice, not the choice of being uh, approved by whoever. That was probably like the, the best argument against a totalitarian state I've ever heard. <laughs> no, because, you know, when you do what you're told to do, there's this perception where like, oh, people don't want to have choice. It causes stress. They want to be told what to do. And yet we constantly have this desire amongst people for choice, for independence, for the assertion of the self. And this is, you know, a place that we want to achieve. And so I feel like it's a very strong argument to say, no, people do not want to conform. People do not want to be told what to believe. People want to be given a bunch of options and want and, and, and want to be able to choose the ones that are right for them. Hopefully we give them good options as society, but people do um, by nature seem to want to have options because if they don't feel like they get to choose, 
they die with regrets. Yes, totally. Yes, you, you, you make a very nice uh, summary. Last, last question, because again, we're this has been very fast. We're almost out of time. Um, it's difficult not to talk about smartwatches with you because we, you know, we did a smartwatch project together. Um, yes. Samsung. This is so such a funny story. We'll have to tell it more sometime. But in in a way that's completely unrelated, Samsung hired you to help design the the Gear S3 smartwatch, and hired me to host the press conference uh, that was in Berlin to debut it. And we spent a week together. And this was an interesting experience because I think we were the only watch industry people there at a watch, mostly a watch event, you know, which was their giant press conference. And we got to exchange culture with the people from Samsung, which is a massive South Korean company that I learned has over 300,000 employees. Um, What did you learn about the smartwatch world or which is going to be the future of watches in the mainstream based upon that? And how is that going to prepare you as a creative, as an entrepreneur for a world that is going to be mostly smartwatches and some traditional watches? No, I love it. Uh, Honestly, uh, I love it. I think it's it's something very interesting. Uh, For example, we take only one one angle, which is a medical angle, but the smartwatches are bringing a lot. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, when I do my, my sparring, uh, I always have a smartwatch to know if my heartbeat is okay, if everything is okay, and this is important. And I think it's very, it's not something that you should uh, shoot, like some people from the industry hate it. I think it's fantastic for a couple of reasons. First, it helps some people. Second, it gives the uh, attitude, the, the habit to people to work against something at their wrist. That was not the case a couple of years ago. Huh? The youngs were not wearing anything anymore. And the thing is, it's like wearing a short or a shirt and a and, and suit. It's a little bit the same. I mean, if you if you uh, wear a traditional Swiss watch, it's, as again, a size of emotion, a story of history at your wrist. The smartwatch is totally different. And I see this uh, cohabitation totally possible. Totally possible and totally. But I see, for example, uh, most of the of the <laughs> of the uh, directors at uh, Samsung bought RK watches because they understood they they uh, they loved the concept. And I did for them as well uh, some uh, some dual watches which were smart and uh, as well uh, traditional. Cool. You, you know that experience was interesting because. They had, you know, all the skill to make technology products and manufacturing and software and all that stuff. But you could tell that they were very um, new when it come to the culture behind watches, the aesthetics, what consumers actually like to look at on their wrist. Um, the visual and emotional and fashion experience was completely new to them and barely on their radar, like just, just finally starting to sort of get on their radar. And we had to go to them and say, hey – in the future, you're going to sell watches that people want to wear. That's why they're going to choose yours. They're going to your watches are going to do the same as most everyone else's, but they're going to choose it because you give an, a new emotional experience. It was like they were just barely understanding that. You remember that? Yes, this is why they hired us. Yeah, I, I remember we did some uh, focus groups. One was on touching, you know, because uh, the, the feel of touching a high end watch and the feel of touching a uh, oh a yeah. Very different, and uh, for Korean, it was not easy to to touch. So to touch, uh, I remember telling them to touch uh, each other, and that was uh, <laughs> for 
going in jail huh? <laughs> in Korea. So this is where you, uh, you, you being a teacher probably makes you really, really good at doing these like focus groups and things like that. Now I see how it all comes together. Yes, yes, true. Yes, I love, I love to transmit what I, I, I learned. This is this is this has been such a great chat, Yvonne. I'm so happy we did this. We're gonna have to meet up and then have another chat after that, and and I'll have to have you back. Just remind everyone where they can find you. What's the Archia website? Just plug your stuff right now. Thank you. So it's Archia.com, A-R-T-Y-A.com. And in the U.S., you are represented by Bouges, uh, with Thierry and his team. Uh, it just opened the IW Mark in Houston, David Diamond, San Francisco will be at the show at Palm Beach, the show. <clears throat> so uh, I think it's from the 17th to the 22nd of, um, of, um, of February. So if anybody wants to come, it will be my pleasure to, to sit together and discuss. Any chance you come over, uh, Ariel? I don't know. We'll find. We'll find out. Um, I will. I will look. I will look into that for sure. But um, I know that it won't be too long because, of course, I will be going to Geneva for Watches and Wonders. So that will be a, an opportunity soon after that. Um, everyone, I have been speaking to Mr. Ivan Arpa, and this has been superlative. Thank you very much, and thank you, Ivan. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com.